In today's day and age, organizations have a decision to make. Are they going to invest in their people to ensure that they can maximize their potential? Because you see, here's the deal. The important organizations place on team building is not simply a nice to have or a thoughtful aberration. For those organizations who are truly serious about moving the needle of progress forward, it's a necessary investment. If you really want to get down to brass tacks, here is the deal. Simply put, people want to work for organizations whose values align with their own. A recent study published by my friends over at Robert Half found that 35% of the American workforce won't take a job if it was a perfect fit if the organizational culture clashed with their personal values. To further buttress this argument, another recent study published by Glassdoor found that 71% of employees will look for new opportunities elsewhere if their organizational culture and values do not align. For more than 30 years, my friend Dave Elbin has been in the personal development and team building space. We'll return to that part of the story in just a moment. But first, I have to tell you about a morning in 1988 when Elbin woke up and his life changed forever. He had been using alcohol and hard drugs to mask sorrows and challenges he was experiencing. But... He says the experiences he had with Alcoholics Anonymous and the renowned Tony Robbins helped to change his life for the better. And now he's one of the most respected team development and personal development experts in the world. He uses the power of firewalks and workshops as transformational tools to help teams elevate their organizational and personal company cultures. He's the visionary founder of Firewalk Productions. Its overarching mission is simple. It's all about helping organizational and corporate teams create life-changing experiences. And Elbin joined me this week to discuss this transformational approach to leadership, his own impactful and inclusive story of difference, and so much more on how companies and organizations can level up their team-building exercises and experiences to maximize their potential of now. Without further delay, 
I'm Kevin McShane. Let's have this conversation. to talk to you all about leadership and level leveling up in business. Great to see you this morning, and happy Friday to you. Happy Friday. Let's go. Absolutely. So, uh, Dave, I wanted to start our conversation by asking you, how do you define the le- leadership? What do you think that means to you? I, you know, I think leadership takes on a lot of different, um, different you know, leadership. It, it, Leadership means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I, from my perspective, leadership has always been about helping, guiding, and coaching someone to do something that they probably would not do unless we were there to help them and guide them along. In other words, they wouldn't do it for themselves. However, with a little coaching and a little leadership, uh, you know, we get them to take action in areas of their life uh, that will make their lives better. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Dave, I know that you've been immersed in the personal development space for over uh, three decades, my friend, and uh, you really uh, have connected yourself with uh, Tony Robbins and an experience you had with with him. So tell me about how you've evolved as a person and the impact that Tony Robbins has had on your life, my friend. Well. I think it's equally important to recognize where a lot of my personal development came from, not from the personal development industry, though a lot of it did come from that. But there's another organization over here in my life that influenced me greatly, and that's Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, So when I woke up on June 8th, 1988, I was grossly addicted to heroin, cocaine, alcohol, cigarettes. You know, I, I was in a lot of I was in a lot of trouble, Kevin. Uh, I was very suicidal. Um, I, I was I was married to a woman at the time who had three kids. They were my stepkids. And though I loved them dearly, I just I was out of control. I was living in the basement of the house. They were living upstairs. And I don't know what it is, but that moment that morning, I said, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. I'm not going to do this anymore. I couldn't. The physical pain, the emotional pain was just more than I could bear. So I decided I was going to end it. And I was going to use a pistol to do that. And as I'm contemplating doing that, I remember thinking, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. This is not just about you. If you pull that trigger, you're going to kill those three kids upstairs. Uh, you know, and that's not right. You can't do that. That's just wrong. So you better come up with another way. Well, the next thought I had was call Alcoholics Anonymous. And what's interesting about that moment, Kevin, was I didn't even know who the hell AA was. I'd never been to an AA meeting. I didn't know anybody in AA. And I have really don't remember having any references at all for Alcoholics Anonymous. Yet there was the thought. 
So I called him and I got this beautiful woman on the phone. She definitely saved my life and she was the gatekeeper. So her her interview you to see if you're serious enough and if you're serious enough she would literally call somebody to come pick you up and i i affectionately uh nicknamed her madge <laughs> and the reason i did is because she talked like this mm -hmm. right and the reason is she probably smoked two packs of palm oil non-filters a day okay. so, right so she had a really raspy voice but man without her I'm not on the Let's Have a Conversation podcast today, that's for sure. So she sent somebody to come get me. I went to my first AA meeting that day, June 8, 1988. Went to four meetings that day. Um, and, Kevin, it stuck. Uh, in, in spite of being in so much physical pain and emotional pain, I can tell you that coming off alcohol is one thing. You can go through delirium tremors. It can literally, you can literally die from withdrawals from alcohol. But when you add heroin, you multiply it times 100. It is bad. And how I made it to this day, I don't know, other than it was divine intervention. And uh, one day turned into two, then it turned into a month. And when I got to a month, they gave me this. It's a, it's a medallion. And it said one month of continuous sobriety and has AA's name on it. I got another one at two months, three months, six months, nine months, and one year. And then this last year in 2023, I picked up one for 35 years. So it was Alcoholics Anonymous that taught me the 12 steps that literally guided me to putting my life back together. How to clean out the wreckage of the past. How to deal with all the prior calamities. How to say I'm sorry. How to ask for forgiveness. Literally, how to deal with my character defects, how to deal with my shortcomings. And then once I got all that cleared out, how to live one day at a time and, and get into, you know, the spiritual connection uh, that Alcoholics Anonymous offers you. And then at the same time I was getting sober, I had insomnia, right? So I was up late at night all the time. My sleep patterns were all over the place. And I was up late one night. And there he was, 1988, Mr. Enthusiasm, right? A young Tony Robbins. And he was selling a program called Personal Power. Now, when I was watching him that night, I didn't like him. I thought he was arrogant, thought he was pompous. I didn't, I didn't like him at all. However, he said two things that got me. One, he said, we'll do more to avoid pain than we will to gain pleasure. And I went, whoa, that is pretty profound. Because that's why I use drugs and alcohol. I was either chasing pleasure or I was running from pain. So it made a lot of sense to me. The other thing he sent me that got me was the driving force in our life. In other words, how do we make decisions? We're, we're motivated by inspiration or desperation. And I was pretty desperate. And so I bought his program. And it was a 30-day program. It was called Personal Power. And uh, uh, it came in a big old box when I got it. And the program came on these little white things called cassette tapes. <laughs> right? I plugged them in. I did, what it, I did what the man taught me to do. And it worked, Kevin. And so that was, that was how the personal development industry 
and Alcoholics Anonymous came together in my life that has influenced me thus far in my life. Yeah, and, and that's one of the reasons that I was so excited uh, excited to talk to you this morning was I wanted your view on the value of resilience as well. So I appreciate that story. And as you know, in my personal life, Dave, I was told at the age of nine, buddy, that I wouldn't uh, be able to walk for the duration of my life. But because of the severity of my cerebral palsy, Dave, but I live my life through the saying that inclusion is the gateway to independence. And rather than dwell on my personal restrictions, I choose to celebrate life, Dave, and the lessons that I've been uh, put on earth to teach. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on resilience and how it impacts our lives on a daily basis. Ooh, wow. Whoa. Uh, what a great question, Kevin. Um, and I love how you frame that. You know, the, I loved hearing you tell me, you know, what, what happened to you and what's going on. Because the beauty is, is that you and I and everybody else listening to us, we get to decide. <clears throat> not somebody else, not a doctor, not our parents, not our friends. No, we get to decide what our destiny is. And so that's a beautiful thing. Because, you know, we're told, unfortunately, a lot of times by the medical profession that we can't do this or we can't do that or whatever. That's not true. I'll give you an example. You may have heard of this guy. When I do my seminars, I put a picture on the screen behind me. And it's a guy by the name of Eric Weinmeier. And, and the picture of him, he's, there's, the picture is he's standing at the top of Mount Everest. Now, Eric has climbed the seven highest mountains on Earth. Seven different continents, right? Seven different mountains, including Mount Everest. He's climbed all of them. He's an incredible mountain bike rider, and he's incredible at navigating a kayak down a river. But there's something very interesting about Eric that people don't realize, and that is he's blind. Okay? So Eric has climbed the seven highest mountains on this planet, and he did it blind. So... If Eric would have listened to society or if he would have listened to those people or these people, he would have never climbed the staircase to his house, must alone Mount Everest and six other of the highest mountains on earth. So I think we have to be very, very careful who we listen to. I say all the time, love your family, choose your friends. And choose wisely because you'll become who you spend time with. And so I love that. Um, you know, everything that happens in our life, we create a story about it. Whether something's really bad, really good, or something in between, no matter what it is, we get to decide the story we create about it. And so I say all the time, you want to change your life? Change your story. Be careful what you tell yourself. Um, I, I get it that bad things happen. However, we still get to create the story about it, and we can do one of two things. We can embellish it. We can create the victim mindset around that, 
or we can create an extraordinary life. And and so I under I believe with every fiber of my soul that we get to decide what story we're going to create about our lives and everything that happened. In fact, years ago, I saw a documentary, and the documentary started off at a prison. And it goes through the razor wire, and it goes inside the prison, and it goes down this long hallway, and you can hear the metal hitting metal. You know, you know it's a prison. And it comes to the main area of the prison, and it's kind of octagon-shaped. And it's like four stories tall. And there's at every level, there's the 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 cells go all the way around, right? And so the, they go up this catwalk and they go into they go up to a room into a cell and they turn and they go in. And they started an interview. And they're interviewing this this young man. And I'm guessing that this man's probably in his 40s. And he starts to tell a story. And his story's horrible, Kevin. He was badly beaten. He was physically abused, mentally abused, sexually abused, and he's telling a story. And I will tell you, it's horrible. You almost can't listen to it. And when he gets to the end of the story, he, he says, and you know what? If you were treated the way I was treated, this is where you end up. And then the can camera broke away. Well, the next thing you see is a scene of a countryside. And way off into the distance back there, there's a house. And you can tell it's a beautiful house. And the camera comes down, and the, and the front door is open. And the camera comes through, and as soon as it comes through, you see some kids run through, like three or four kids. You know, the family, they're running through the house, right? Kids having a good time. The camera kind of pans over, and there's mom. And you can almost smell the chicken noodle soup and the chocolate chip cookies, right? She's in there cooking, you know, the, the family lunch. As it comes over, dad's sitting by the fireplace, and he's reading. And all of a sudden, he takes his paper and he puts it down and they start an interview. Well, this guy starts talking about his life. And he talks about how physically bad he was abused, how he was locked in an attic, how he wouldn't be fed for time, how they would beat him with a stick, how they sexually abused him. And it's bad. It's horrible. In fact, it's almost word for word with the other gentleman that was in the prison. And when he gets to the end of his story and he looks at the camera and he says, and you know what? If you were treated the way I was treated and so badly abused, what else could you do but become an amazing father, an amazing husband, and an amazing businessman, an amazing contributor to my community? And at the end, when he says that, they flash it on the screen at the bottom. Those two guys were brothers. So one went to prison, and one decided to create an extraordinary life. And you know what, Kevin? One of the greatest books, yet one of the hardest books to ever read, is Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl. And anybody in the book knows it's about him being in Auschwitz during you know, World War II and the Nazis. And they tortured him. They killed his family. They took everything from him, everything. You're standing outside naked with your other prisoners. You're naked. It's cold. They haven't fed you in days. And every single day, you don't know whether you're going to go into the chamber. Is that going to be your last day? Or are you going to die this horrible death? And you hear every day they're taking them in there. They're screaming. They're yelling. It's a horrible, it's a horrible life. It's a horrible existence. But here's what Viktor Frankl figured out. 
You can take everything from me. My clothes, my food, my dignity, respect, all of it. But there's one thing you cannot take from me. And that's my attitude. I have to give it to you. I don't care what you do, how bad you beat me, whatever. I don't have to give up my attitude. And it was that attitude and that purpose that he developed while he was in Auschwitz. He told himself, someone has to get out of here. Someone has to live long enough to get out of here. And the reason for that, the purpose for that, is so that someone could tell the story. So if you haven't read Man's Search for Meaning and you want to you, you want to get real clear about how you can guide your own life and how you're the architect of your own life and your greatness, go read that book. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Dave, I'm a big believer in the power of sort of defining our moment of different difference in life. And for you, it was by creating a Firewalk Adventures, my friend, which is a unique uh, team-building exercise for organizations and people to go through. So tell me all about it and, the, in fact, that it's made, my friend. Um, well, Firewalk Productions was, uh, was born in 2014. So let me back up a little bit to fill in the, the gap there. <clears throat> I went to my first Tony Robbins seminar in 1995. Had a friend called me on the phone, said, hey, Tony Robbins is coming to town. I'd already gone through his program. I'd read his book. I said, sure, let's go. In fact, my friend that invited me to go many years ago just passed away two weeks ago. So anyway, my buddy, Dan the Butcher, um, he, he got me to go. But the one thing he couldn't convince me to do was the firewalk. I wanted to go. I wanted to see Tony. It was a four-day event. It's called Unleash the Power Within, the firewalk experience. But I was not going to do the firewalk. Well, the bottom line is you get to the event. Tony took the stage at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Next thing I know, Kevin, it's after midnight. I've been in a room for 10 hours with Tony Robbins. And all of a sudden, Tony says, take off your shoes. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. No, no, no. I'm not taking off my shoes. Well, the bottom line is, with some encouragement from some of Tony's people, um, I firewalked that night. I literally walked on coals that were 1,000 degrees, along with 3,500 other people. So it was a pretty big gathering. And I'll tell you, Kevin, it was the most life-changing thing I'd ever done in my entire life, by far. It was exhilarating. In fact, right after I firewalked, I was like, okay, I can do anything. If I can walk on coals that are 1,000 degrees, what else can I do? What am I capable of? And so up until that point, fear had been controlling my entire life. And what fear meant to me was forget everything and run. Well, after I firewalked, that, that changed. It was more like face everything and rise. Or as we like to say in AA, uh, false images appearing real. And so it was a life-changing experience. Well, I was so interested in the firewalking part that I later got involved with Tony Robbins' company. Companies. Uh, I became a volunteer, and uh, I accrued five or six times. And then I got hired as a subcontractor in 1995, 1996, somewhere in that ballpark. And then after I did that, I, I, I got onto the security team, so I started helping with Tony's celebrities. And then I got on the fire building team. 
And that's that was the sweet spot. That's where I needed to be. And then in 2003, uh, Tony literally offered me the captain's position. And what that meant was is that I was in charge of all of Tony's firewalks globally. Uh, not only did I get to go on the road with him, my family got to go on the road with him too. At the time he offered me the position, I homeschooled. And so they knew I, I wanted to be around my kids. And so they, they offered for my wife and my kids to go on the road, which we did, 2003. In 2005, we went to London. We, we did the biggest firewalk in the world. Uh, we we firewalked 12,300 people. Now, Kevin, I want to disclose when I say it's a world record, to my knowledge, it is. Now, Guinness Book of World Records was not there. They did not document it. But here's what I can tell you. There's never been a firewalk anywhere close to 12,300 people unless it's another Tony Robbins seminar where, where it was 10,000 or 9,000 or 8,000. And then in 2014, um, I'm driving down the road and my phone rings and it's Google. And they're like, hey, are you the Dave Albin that does the firewalks for Tony Robbins? Yes, I am. What can I do for you? Well, if you're not under any contractual obligation or non-compete, We'd like to talk to you about hiring you. Okay. <laughs> Homeboy's a free agent. What you got? And so they ended up hiring me to do a glass walk instead of the fire walk. And the reason we did the glass walk is they wanted to do the event in the middle of the day. I don't do fire walks in the middle of the day. It's a safety issue. I only do them at night. I've got to be able to see the coals. And so they were fine with that. When I told them glass walk, they, had, they were like, yeah, sure. Tell us about that. That's cool. And all they wanted to do was create a paradigm shift experience for 148 executives that were graduating from that curriculum. So Google knows, corporations know, right? They, they know that what doesn't challenge you doesn't change you. In fact, Google went on to tell me, I did two gigs for Google. Uh, they went on to tell me that I should strongly consider creating these paradigm shift corporate team building experiences and take it out to America. He said, the market, she said, excuse me, the marketplace out there is huge and I'm at the top of their game. I'm the guy they're going to want to hire. Well, they were right because right after I did Google, I retired from Tony Robbins organizations. And the next thing I know, Kevin, I'm at NASA. Then I'm at Notre Dame, Chick-fil-A, Virginia Tech, Microsoft, Heineken, Remax, the, the Entrepreneurs Organization, YMCA. T. Harv Ecker, Wayne Dyer. I mean, my career just exploded. And, you know, no, no pun intended, but in 2014, when Firewalk Productions was born, uh, we've been going um, hot and heavy ever since. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Dave, you bring up the concept of a paradigm shift. And one of, one of the ways that I help organizations sort of think about uh organizational culture is infu infusing more people with disabilities into their workforce. And I'll give you a sort of a background. So, uh, Dave, I was the first ambassador for a project called the, the, called the Discoverability Network, which was Ontario's first online job matching portal nice. uh, for individuals with disabilities and employers to get connected and i always told uh, employers that hiring folks with 
disabilities can provide your organization with a competitive advantage. So tell me about your thoughts on the idea of inclusion, team building, and creating a competitive advantage. And where do you think uh, individuals with uh, disabilities fit into that equation? Um, well, the proof is in the pudding. Um, you know, let's look at, at someone, someone like yourself. You've already proved to corporate America that, and, and you know, it's interesting. I don't know that I would use the word disability. I, for me, what the, the, the language pattern that would work for me there would be physical challenges or maybe mental challenges. Uh, some people would look at you as a disability. I wouldn't. I, I think you have an amazing advantage in, in the marketplace because people can see who you are. You know, because I think a lot. I think the general public could could be around somebody with with cerebral palsy, and and we have we have misconceptions about who they are. We have misconceptions about what they're capable of, um, who they are inside. Because until we get to know somebody, then we don't know. That's just the bottom line. Our brain makes up a bunch of BS. You get on stage in front of those people; they get to know you, Kevin. And, and that's a that's a huge, huge, I don't know, it's just a, such a wonderful thing for so many people who are walking around the planet not knowing what it's like to get to know somebody like you. You know, there's another guy out there that I love. Years ago, I found out about him. Uh, I may not be saying his name correctly, but he's from Australia. And he's got no arms and he's got no legs. Uh, Nick Vachesic, I think. I, I, I'm sorry, Nick, if I if I butchered your your name, uh, but he's got no arms and he's got no legs. But I tell you what, he's got he's got a brain, he's got a mouth, and he's actually a really good looking guy. And you know, he he learned how to do things you would never imagine. He's got no arms and no legs. Now he's got a little. He calls it his chicken wing flapper that's at the bottom of his torso. And he can use that. And he can literally, you can lay him down, which you would think he'd never be able to get back up because he's got no way to leverage himself up. But sure enough, man, he can lift himself up. Um, he can he can take a putter and he can go out and he can golf. <laughs> he's been on a surfboard. No arms, no legs. He swims. Uh, in fact, he was at a party one time where I was and he, uh, he jumped in the pool <laughs> and it scared us to death. Right. Because, Oh my God. But you know, he's got, when he takes a deep breath, his upper torso, he doesn't have his arms and his legs to weight him down. So he can float up on top of the water and he uses that little flapper to swim. He's a beautiful human being. He's a very spiritual man. Uh, he's a really great guy. And so when I learned about him, um, I sent, Tony Robbins, a text message. And I said, Hey, have you ever heard of this guy? And, uh, at that time. And so Tony and him connected. So, you know, I, I, you know, again, the world needs to know that people with the physical and mental, mental challenges that people with cerebral palsy have are extraordinary human beings. And it would be to their benefit. They will become better people if they get to know you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Dave, I'm curious to get your thoughts on 
the correlation between a personal development and accountability, my friend. How do you think those two things are interconnected? Um, I think they're two separate. I mean, you know, you could easily incorporate accountability into the personal development industry, right? Because I tell people all the time, they ask me, um, you know, what's the one thing, you know, if you could leave your clients with one thing, one pearl of wisdom, what would it be? And one of the things I say all the time is don't negotiate with yourself. In other words, if you say you're going to get up at 530 and go to the gym, do it. Don't lie to yourself. Because if you start cutting corners there, you'll start cutting corners in everywhere. Because how we do some things is how we do everything, mm -hmm. right? And I get asked all the time, Dave, what's your ritual? What do you do every day, every morning of your life? What's the first thing you do when you get up? The first thing I do when I get up is make my bed. And there's a reason for that. Um, the second thing I do is I go out every morning, and when the sun comes up, I get that morning sunlight on my body. I get it on my upper chest, my arms, and my face. Nine minutes, I expose my body to the morning sunlight. And that's for vitamin D and the health of it. It's really super good for you. The other thing I do at the same time is I do deep diaphragmic breathing. I take 30 breaths, three sets of that. And when I say a, a breath, I mean, ha, ha, ha. I breathe really hard 30 times, and I do that three sets during my exposure to the morning sunlight. Once I've done that, I go to the other side of my house, and I do earthing. I do grounding. Very, very important. So healthy for you. Our bodies were made to put our feet on the planet for a certain period of time every single day. So I go out. I put my feet on the grass for, for nine minutes. I also do some other breathing exercises when I'm doing that. Then when I come in, I do my morning meditation. I read 10 pages in a good book every day, and I do my sound therapy. And then after I do that, I take my morning shower. I take a nice hot shower, and then I finish it with a cold shower. So I live in the Appalachian Mountains, Kevin. I have mountain spring water coming into my home. The temperature of the water is 56 degrees. So I when I turn the hot water off, I set a timer for three minutes, and then I turn it on cold, and it's cold. And I have it hit me right here in the middle of the face. <laughs> and it's cold. It takes my breath away. That, that's how I know it's cold enough. Did it this morning. Did it yesterday morning, the morning before. Do I like it? Not necessarily. Do I try to talk myself out of it once in a while? Yes. Do I let myself do that? No. Because if I don't have the discipline to work my regiments, I'm going to talk myself out of things that I've got to do in the business world, for my family, emotional well-being, my physical well-being. I'm 70 years old. I'm going to be 70 in a couple of months. And I don't take any medications. I take very good care of myself. And I do that because I owe that to my grandchildren. I have a grandchild who's going to be seven here soon. And I have, an, I have a granddaughter that's like, what is she now? Eight months, nine months old? I want to see her graduate. And the only way I'm going to get there is if I take really good care of myself and I, and I stay true to myself and I stay true to my regiment. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's all about investing in yourself. And uh, Dave, I'm going to share one final story about myself. Please. Because it relates to my next question about investing in yourself. So, Dave, I graduated college in 2010 with a journalism degree. And when I went uh, to uh, uh, job interviews following my graduation from college, you know, it's one of the driving forces that drives me today. News directors would look at me, Dave, at the time, and they would tell me that I had a lot of energy and I was qualified for the jobs that I was um, applying for as a reporter. But because of my disability, Dave, they said they would view me as a liability. So instead of using that as a... uh, uh, as a moment of a trepidation in my life, Dave, what I did was I volunteered for um, a television station for four straight years out of college without a paycheck. And it, wow. uh, and then, uh, Dave, it took me six years out of college uh, to get my first paying job ever as a paid professional, but it led uh, to a me forming a career, helping businesses uh, realize the benefits of hiring folks with disabilities. The first job I ever had, Dave, was working with the Ontario government uh, to highlight the positive benefits of, of hiring folks with disabilities. And I was able to help the Ontario government uh, appoint a special master to look into making government agencies more inclusive. So uh, based on that story, Dave, I'm curious, what do you think it means to invest in yourself? And why do you think um, companies and organizations should uh, invest in diversity of perspective? If they're smart, they will. If they can break through the fear and the limiting beliefs that they have, then the upside is the amount of value of someone like yourself would bring to their organization. See, again, they had limiting beliefs. They didn't get a chance to know you. They didn't find out how smart you are, how intelligent you are, the wisdom and knowledge that you have. And so, you know, they screwed up. They messed up. Um, Happens all the time. And it's interesting that a lot of it some seems to happen in the media, right? Because the media anymore isn't it isn't journalism. It's sell, sell, sell. We know what sells in the media, blood. And that's the driving force now. And that's why we're having so many challenges, why everything's being called fake news. Because it is. You know, it's interesting. I remember a story. You know, you, you telling me your story reminded me of something that happened many, many years ago. And it happened to be in the journalism industry. So when Walt Disney, you know, they built, he built Disneyland in Southern California, right? I used to go there when I was a kid because I grew up in Southern California. And I loved it. Come on, it's Disney, right? Well, Walt had a bigger vision. He wanted to build Disney World. And he wanted to build it in Orlando, Florida. And so we know what happened, right? They built Disney World. Well, Walt had passed away before he got a chance to actually physically see it. So I remember hearing a story about 
Walt's grandson. And he was being interviewed by this journalist. This, how, how do I put that? This, this, he was out of touch, this journalist. And so he's interviewing Walt's grandson. And he says to Walt's grandson, ho, 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 oh boy, this must be a really bittersweet day for you. And he said, what are you, what are you talking about? He goes, because, you know, here it is. It's Disney World, and Walt's not here to see it. And, and his grandson, without missing a beat, he said, that's the difference between you and my grandfather. You see, you're not a visionary. My grandfather was. Because without him, you wouldn't be here interviewing me. And it's because my grandfather saw Disney World that's why it's here today. And you know what I mean? I relate that to you. These people, if they had a vision and if they were smart, they would see you as an amazing and all people that have physically, physical or mental disabilities and or, you know, challenges. Uh, if they were smart, they'd hire every one of you. I'll tell you something right now. I'm just going to say this right now. I want to say it on the record in front of your audience. I would love to share the stage with you sometime and we'll, we'll create a firewalk experience. And, you know, uh, I would love for a company to hire you and I both and uh, we'll go in there and rock their world, brother. And you, I appreciate that. And I'm going to uh, hold you to it. Okay. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think I'll add with this because I truly believe that relationships are the capital of life and, Building relationships are essential to progress, my friend. So I'm curious, what sort of a value do you place on building relationships? And how do you think you relate that to your own personal and professional legacy? Well, I mean, you know, relationships is everything. Camaraderie is in there. Uh, you've got uh, collaboration is in there. Uh, relationships, from my perspective, are everything. Um, let me give you an example. Uh, I, I hear a, a few weeks ago, I was on a podcast, and and I was during after the interview, she asked me if I've ever done a firewalk for veterans, and I said no, not specifically. I mean, I've done, I've had lots of veterans attend our events, but we haven't target marketed. And she said, "Would you consider doing that?" And I said, "Absolutely." And so. I had a really, I had a huge breakthrough with that, Kevin. I, I've been doing really well in corporate America, but I didn't stop and go, you know what? We have a real issue over here. We have veterans, first responders, single moms, and kids that have been bullied. And unfortunately, a lot of those people are taking their lives. Veterans, the number I heard was 22 a day. Well, that's not accurate. That's only if they leave a note. We have over 40 veterans a day that are taking their own life. And that's, that cut me like a knife, man. And I said, I have a skill. I, I have great knowledge and wisdom. I've been in the personal development industry for 30 years. I know I have pretty much an idea of why they're taking their own life. They're losing their purpose. They're getting disconnected from those people, that camaraderie, the connections that you're talking about. So, we decided we were going to create an organization called Operation Do No Harm. 
And Operation Do No Harm is going to serve veterans, first responders, single moms, and kids that have been bullied. In fact, we've already scheduled our first event. It's going to be specifically for veterans. My dear friend, Ed Paraguay, um, is the president of um, the Rotary Club in Modesto, California. And we've scheduled first firewalk specifically targeted, marketed for, for veterans. It's going to be April 13th in Modesto, California. So I want to, and I want to say one more thing about that question to address it. So I have a sponsor. Well, I, I have a few sponsors. I reached out to the Black Rifle Coffee Company. I reached out to MIT 45. I reached out to Duterra, who make essential oils to get involved with this movement of helping these, you know, men and women, veterans and first responders, moms and kids. So I went to one of my other sponsors, who's the Zippo Lighter Company. Right. If you're going to do a firewalk, you got to light the fire with something. Right. Uh -huh. Well, so here's a lighter they made for me. You can see the logo matches the logo over my shoulder. It's a beautiful lighter. So I went to them and I said, hey, Zippo, we want to start doing firewalks for for veterans and, and first responders and single moms and kids that have been bullied. Are you guys interested? And they said, absolutely. So I went to them and I, I spent two and a half days with them. And here's what they're going to do. They've been making lighters. They started the company in 1932. In 1933, they made their first lighter. As of this year in 2023, Kevin, the Zippo Lighter Company has manufactured over 700 million lighters. So in 1941, they made a lighter for the GIs that were fighting the war in World War II. I, how do I know this? Not only did they tell me, but my dad had one. So they're going to take the 1941 replica, and they're going to um, they're going to powder coat it black, and then they're going to etch in there, laser etch in, in there, Operation Do No Harm. So if I didn't have the relationship and the camaraderie and the collaboration connection with Zippo. That would have never happened. So I'm really, really grateful uh, to have an incredible relationship with a company like Zippo that's willing to step up here and help this cause and save as many lives as we possibly can. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Dave, I have to tell you that I really admire the amount of energy and enthusiasm you have for life, my friend. So uh, I lied. So I have one more question for you. What do you think you're energy and enthusiasm to maximize the potential of life comes from, my friend. Gratitude. <laughs> Gratitude. I mean, it, it's, it's the driving force. It, what feeds me, it feeds me. I say all the time, you know, one of my dear friends I met in AA, my buddy Mark Winch has said years ago, we lost Mark a few years ago, but he used to say, if you're not grateful today, what day are you waiting for? <laughs> you know, gratitude influences you. It just does, because here's what I know. Mm -hmm. Fear and gratitude can't occupy the same space in your mind at the same time. You can't be fearful and grateful at the same time. So work on gratitude. And, yeah. and that in and of itself is probably one of the strongest things you can do to influence yourself and uh, create a lot of joy and a lot of happiness. That doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen, Kevin. 
It just means that if I can go at it in a, with a sense of gratitude, um, uh, I can use those moments in my life to influence myself in a positive, productive way, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dave, finally tell me, if people want to get connected with all the great work that you're doing, my friend, what's the most efficient way they can do that? Well, if anybody wants to get involved, if there's a corporation out there that like to get their brand out in front of this movement and and uh, sponsor a firewalk for doesn't one of those four, if they want to sponsor a firewalk for the veterans, first responders, for kids, for single moms, whatever speaks to their heart, all they have to do is go to www.firewalkadventures.com. So that's firewalk, second word, adventures. With an S, it's all spelled in one word, firewalkadventures.com. Get a hold of me. Uh, I'm very accessible. You know, whether you want to sponsor a, 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 an event for one of those that speak to you, or you want us to hire, hire us to come do an event for you, we can do both. So firewalkadventures.com. Well, Dave, I really uh, appreciate the work that you're doing to make a difference in the world. Thanks, you know, I, I always say that, that we've all been put on earth, earth to move the needle of progress forward, my friend. And you're certainly uh, do, doing your part to contribute to that mission, my friend. So I want to thank you for the energy, enthusiasm, and uh, excitement you brought to our conversation this morning. And I want to thank you for engaging in conversation with me. It's most appreciated. It's my pleasure, Kevin. Let's do it again sometime, brother. Love you, man.